Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We have storytellers all around us. The funny ones, the profound ones. And let's not forget the impulsive ones. Business too runs on many of these stories. Storytelling and content creation has seen its own journey with time. So I figured why not discuss this fairly recent trend of hyperlocalization of content to achieve global positioning. And mind you this isn't a new thing. I'm sure it's got its own story. Storytelling has been around for as long as human beings learned the art of communication. With fewer one-on-one interactions, compelling storytelling is one of the last threads holding the potential to any relationship, commercial or personal. Anupama Ramaswamy, managing partner and national creative director Densu Impact, says in an article about storytelling in 2021 uh, by uh, by socialsamosa.com that FOMO, fear of missing out, will be a big motivator. So when, so then how does storytelling remain authentic today? Today we have access to a lot more data which lets us um, design the communication for, you know, who we're, who we're addressing it to. For example, even as simple a thing as being on, say, a social media platform like social media platform like Instagram, you know, the moment you have a business account, you have insights. I can take a look at my insights and I can see that, Let's say that I would get to know that um, these are the areas or these are the cities that that seem to be, uh, you know, following me more. This is the age profile that seems to be following me more. This is um, this is the time that we, they, they seem to be coming in and looking at my stories more. I only recently discovered this. Now, uh, this helps you actually say, OK, then let me engage with who my viewers and my listeners are uh, a lot more. But. Essentially, I will still be true to what I I represent, which is a writer, a writer who writes in the area of humor, romance, women's fiction. So it's just that you would say, okay, let me, instead of saying that I will put out very, very generic content, I might say, okay, let me start saying things which are more relevant to the people who are interested in me. Um, similarly, with access to information, you can, you know, you can, make sure that your story becomes relevant. I'll give you as simple an example as when I wrote my first book, uh, Pallavi, um, which was the first Indian Mills and Boone. You know, we had a discussion. I had, my editors were in, were in uh, the UK and none of them had actually come to India. And they were coming from, you know, the point of view of this is what works for romance. And they should know because they are the world's, Harlequin is the world's largest, uh, you know, uh, marketer of, and the name that represents romance. It's what Disney is to, is to animation, you know, so they do know their uh, readers and they know their genre. But, you know, for instance, uh, you know, we went back and forth for a long time talking about even what constitutes a marriage of convenience, a trope that is seen very, very often in romance. And uh, for them, a marriage of convenience is a marriage, which is a business arrangement. You know, whereas in India, we've had the arranged marriage system forever and ever. And that is what you would associate when you with, uh, you know, when you say a marriage of convenience. Now, for them, that was shocking. 
they said why would somebody want to forsake their chance at love and you know to find the person they want you know so that was unthinkable but having a marriage which is you know a business thing saying okay i will give you this much and you you know you be uh, you know um, even let's say even historical historical fiction or romance or even if you look at a a book say like mario puzo's um, you know the family which is uh, set in fact you know so alliances between m kingdoms you know saying okay i i am you know the emperor or the you know whatever obviously and i think that it would be strategic for me to tie up with the king of spain and have our offspring marry and then the story unfolds from there but it at the root of it there was a marriage of convenience you know so so just the concept was alien but now when when we said we're going to do a book for india when i was doing the first indian wisdom boon mm-hmm. my question was is this book going to be for india because if it's going to be for india then let's not worry about whether an arranged marriage is understood or not but if you're looking at it from a global uh, readers point of view then yeah okay i would perhaps try to build in somewhere you know bring in an understanding of what this concept stands for so that itself just having access to that information or having clarity on who your consumer is so to speak uh, you know that really helps a lot right okay. um, shikha and pasma yeah shikha would you like to go next i i, I can go otherwise okay please go so, ahead thank you shikha so um, you know i would agree with what milan has said i don't think storytelling will ever die out right and i think it's in fact going to only increase with the easy access to let's say google and bing and all the knowledge uh, portals which they are people don't need concepts any longer that's what i see even when we are training at leadership levels for example i don't want to start talking of the imposter syndrome because people know about the imposter syndrome but what they'd like to know is the story behind it they'd like to be able to identify with different kinds of issues they'd like to be able to get the personal side of things right so i think storytelling increases the relevance at all times and increases the attention I really like Milan's uh, you know example that she's given about books and um, the fact about like the marriage of convenience and um, you know that's something which is so eastern in concept but at the same time I'm surprised that the UK authors uh, um, you know Harlequin did not see it because it's um, been there forever if you look at uh, uh, you know royalty in um, in the UK it's always been a marriage of convenience between kingdoms and you know between france and and germany and and that's that's what always uh, has happened so i'm surprised that they did not see it for that um, also the fact that in india i don't think the concept of love ever attracts or ever has uh, been there until more recently and it's more an urban kind of concept i think lust has been um largely um the call for any kind of uh, such uh, marriages especially when it comes to older men and very young women and you've seen that you know even from the far east coming so looking at it from the relevance perspective i think yes taking something out of context will definitely not be okay similarly also when we have communication and let's say hr or talent management and we're looking at uh, uh you know looking at people who are joining us for example i can't talk to them about every single bouquet of uh, the cafeteria benefits that i have in the company we will need to position whatever is more relevant to them in their circumstance their environment and their 
like whether they come from the rural area or the urban areas, whether they come from a top degree college or they come from a second tier college, all that makes a difference when you're looking at which benefit to be able to position. So I think positioning is about the relevance of what there is and which is why if you look at it even in products and I'm sure Shikha will be able to talk more about that. I'm also a professor of marketing um, in many colleges at the MBA level. And we uh, definitely look at products today, not just with the USP, but we are looking at it from the MSP angle. And why are we looking at it from the MSP multiple selling propositions? Because not every proposition is going to appeal to every single customer and they need to be able to pick and choose. So if I want a shampoo today, I'm not going to be looking at a shampoo that's only going to be um, you know, having my hair shine, but I'm definitely going to be looking at something that stops hair fall or stops dandruff or whatever. So I will pick and choose amongst the very, um, you know, the, the cafeteria of benefits that any particular product uh, offers me, product or service or company or relationship offers me, for example, in order to see what is more relevant to my needs, to my basket of needs. And I think that is where storytelling makes a difference. And that is where you you look at this hyper-local, uh, you know, like we say, uh, what's it called? High-low so, right? So the hyper-local social content marketing that there is. Why do we look at that, you know? And you look at it from, from many angles today. It's all about how does one really pick on the relevance of something and give it to them. If you look at even, look at the OTT platforms today and the kind of movies that they are available, why do they talk of genres which people are going to be going to, right? Why is it that you you go and see something like Don't Breathe and why is it that they come back and tell you into the shadows or this or that? They offer you exactly what you have been liking and that is where the storytelling continues to be able to pick on what seems to appeal to you. So I believe storytelling can never die out. It's been there from times immemorial, from the Brahmacharya syndrome or, you know, the um, Grahasti or, um, you know, uh, teaching under the trees, for example, Shanti Niketan is all about storytelling. It's not about concepts and textbooks and, um, you know, um, whatever. I, I think it has really, Kotler, for example, has been a text in India since the 19, I think, 1970, 1975 for marketing. But we don't talk of Kotla alone and his concepts. We talk of the examples from India. So we talk of, okay, Lux. And why is it that, for instance, the superstar syndrome of films appeals more to people than they would look at, let's say, a, a fashion queen, right? For them, films and cricket are the things that appeal more. And why is it that it appeals more? Why is it that the sensationalism that there is about whether, uh, you know... Um, Virat Kohli had a son or a daughter and when it was, etc. I mean, these stories are what appeal to people. And I think that's why sensationalism will always sell in a country like India, especially. So hyper-local social content marketing is extremely, extremely important. That, that's my take on it as a start. We could. <laughs> and Shikha? No, I mean, absolutely. I agree with you, ladies. You know, it's so interesting that uh, there was uh, a time when there was television and movies, you know, and it spoke to a larger audience. And now people are sitting at night or in the evenings with their mobile phone literally on their chest like that. <laughs> so, you know, interaction has become so personal. It is so hyper localized that I think we have to come up with another word for it. Um, this whole thing of vocal for local has become so concentrated right now. So even if a visit California is coming into India tomorrow or a Jordan is coming to India tomorrow, they have to speak the language which someone from Bihar also understands 
which someone in Bangalore also understands. Um, in fact, you know, there are some Google articles I was reading the other day where they are saying English is over. You know, you have to be able to talk to an English, uh, to, there is no English language anymore. You have to talk in all the vernacular languages to everybody. So every Indian is looking at a content creator or a marketing message or a PR message that this should speak to me. So that's why I find how uh, storytelling um, has become so hyper-localized. It's become so specific, uh, you know, that there is now no one-size-fits-all anymore. So for me as a PR strategist, as a content creator, it's a really, really interesting time we are living in. Um, uh, Globalization, yes, is there. But I think what last year has also taught us is that we have to, we are all like cocooning so much uh, that uh, even content has become like that. You know, I'm only interested in this. If it's a South Delhi girl thing, I'm a South Delhi girl. I only want to listen to this. So, you know, it's become very, very, very interesting uh, how communication has changing, is changing, how it will continue to change and evolve. And uh, yeah, that, that's what I'm noticing in all the strategies I've been building or the content I've been building on in the last two years. So, yeah, that's my take on this. So I just like to add up one more point before we go into the next session. And I'm taking off from what Shika had stated about visitors who are coming in from different countries. For instance, when I have a visitor who comes into Hyderabad, I'm not going to take them to a global franchise like McDonald's, right? (laughs) I will take them for a Hyderabad biryani. Because right. <laughs> the, and therefore I will take them for to a restaurant which is extremely local to local, the taste and yeah. culture at this place. So, I mean, come on! I mean, I I need to be able to portray um, the culture of this particular place, and for that, obviously, it's got to be hyperlocal. Yeah, and even vice versa. But I think one of the sorry. In fact, one of the one of the you know things that you know even uh, even as uh, long ago as I think uh, I was working on the Pizza Hut launch uh, for India, you know, which was uh, I think this was in ninety five. Uh, I'm trying to remember the year. Was it ninety five? Yes, it was. It was ninety five, ninety six. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So this is when I was with J, with uh, JWT in Delhi, you know, and the whole thing was, in fact, the wonderful thing was that you had a brand which was coming in, you know, with you would imagine that it would come in with a lot of uh, diktats, you know, of the MNC, uh, you know, the motherhood uh, kind of stuff. But, you know, they, they came in with that perspective that it needs to be very, very tailor-made for India. And they also made sure that even in terms of, even in terms of as, you know, I'm saying this is as long back as then when even the menu was tailor-made, uh, you know, saying that, okay, we, you know, when you want to say we'll have a chicken tikka uh, pizza as a topping, you know, that was acknowledging saying that, you know, we're going to give them what Pizza Hut stands for, but we're also going to make sure that we give it to them with, with uh, you know, the things that they're familiar with, you know, so the exotic with the familiar. Uh, and it was very similar to, um, you know, even when I was telling uh, Pallavi in our conversation uh, before this, you know, that even when I was writing the Mills and Boon, I was very clear that so many generations of women who had grown up reading romances before that, you know, we were getting it uh, secondhand, right? We were getting people who were using terms of endearment that weren't familiar to you. You were getting, you know, your Miyakarya, your Kara, you were getting Jatem and blah, blah. But, you know, the the, the thrill of saying now you're going to read Merijan you know, or whatever, you know, you would get get the, the local flavor into it, you know, which is what was, uh, you know, exciting for everybody and what caught such a, you know, caught everybody's imagination in such a big way. 
but there was also a, you know a flip side that uh, you know for instance when um, i wrote my second book shikha this is to add to what you were saying which is that you know you are very conscious of saying that you want to make uh, the 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 content you know relevant to to that yes. geography so so for example when i was writing my second book i was writing it it was set in delhi it was set with people uh, tiktok where 30 was set with characters who represented that very delhi metropolitan kind of urban sort of uh, indian who uses uh, you know mixed languages there is there is all kinds of and so it's not your perfect uh, good english and so as far as my characters were concerned i wanted for instance there was a character who was who was uh, malayali but a wannabe uh, punjabi you know and i needed to make sure that i represented that part of him you know so you know his uh, usage of constantly saying uh, changa changa chale changa you know so that that's representing his delhi aspirations yeah. uh, and i remember when i was writing it you know um, uh, my uh, beta reader she said uh, you know are you sure you want to do this because on one hand you're doing this but you're going to also lose a lot of people who don't understand uh, hindi at all you know yeah. and i i was also i see i also don't like uh, i like the narrative to be clean so if if there is a narrator then their language has to be you know yeah. upbeat and whatever but you know obviously not uh, you know compromise on that but your characters must be authentic so it, it's always a very conscious choice to say i'm doing this i will make them my characters speak the way i want them to speak and i'm fine with if i lose readers in a larger sense but i want to be more authentic and true to the people who i want to represent you know yeah. so so that whole localizing of of content in that sense uh you know is again a pretty conscious choice even as a writer when you say that okay i'm fine and i did you know i mean the the funny thing was that there were people who who had let's say loved the first book which was you know with with the uk editors where therefore while i was bringing in indian terms and endearments and blah blah but it was written in you know in correct um you know good english and the second book which was which had a lot of english coming into it which uh, your character spoke in different meters and different which which was a book which i enjoyed a lot more because i just felt it was a lot more authentic but i had the occasional review where people would suddenly you know say uh, give it a less rating and i uh, remembered the reason for it and that would be i don't like reading books which are not written in good english so, okay <laughs> i'm fine <laughs> you don't like it too bad but i do want to write the book that you know i believe will be true and will be enjoyed by many more people Right. Yeah. So no, now it's yeah, actually I mean, there is a marketing kind of choice and more than that. Local and vernacular. It's become more socially accepted. You know, we have T-shirts yeah. with the Devangiri script. We have soft furnishings. Ayurved is cool again. You know, all the yoga. Brands. Look at yoga. It's not. It's not just aerobics any longer, right? Kama Ayurved is cool again. Uh, having your bath with the cup. and all that is cool again so yeah i mean you know people are buying tata cars again so <laughs> it has you know evolved subtly over the years so it is now it's uh, i mean don't get me wrong english is still important it's our business language but i think you know our dialects are uh, catching up pretty pretty fast and with younger people well, with millennials and uh, younger now it's cool to be indian so yeah <laughs> that's how it's shaping our content uh, and storytelling yeah. as well yeah. right so continuing with that shikha which was uh, so i mean so relevant to our next question which is it's been a so all of this has been around for a long long time 
how, how co content is localized and storytelling has been localized, even business and marketing, all of that. So how, how did this come back now into such a buzzing trend of late, especially in the past, I think, if I'm right, um, eight to five, five to eight years, it's been a little more trending. So what, what happened there? Uh, any of you, whoever would like to go first. I think perhaps Milan again, right? We can start with Milan and then because, move yeah, on. Auntie, you, you have to leave too, so. I'm sorry, Milan. Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting used to it. <laughs> it's going to take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, 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 do whatever is uh, comfortable. Uh, and talking about, uh, you know, being comfortable in our skin. Well, if auntie is comfortable, then auntie is fine. You know? So uh, we're owning, uh, I mean, it really answers your question in a sense, which is that, you know, we're, we're owning what we are. And I think that the end of the day, you know, it's saying, I, I mean, you know, from earlier having a, a, you know, a hangover and saying, you know, that that hangover lasted a very long time. And I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, money speaks. You know, so if you've got the buying power and this is what you want, it's going to reflect in every single thing that you consume, right? So whether it is content that we're seeing out there, which is localized content, which is reflecting what is happening with characters now with people, you know, say a film like Sir, which is so sensitively made, which is reflecting, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the whole class, uh, you know, uh, issue Divide. and difference. And especially, yeah, so, so when, you know, especially when let's say people are, are being exposed to uh, to thinking, you know, whereas earlier your exposure was also so much, so much less, right? You only had your, you know, X number of channels on and the, and the DVDs that you could get your hands on. And, and now you don't have that. And so, you know, that, that whole, um, uh, even duplicity or, you know, at least a sense of, um, understanding you know at at uh, your double standards let's say even a film like the white uh, the white tiger what it did right you know when you saw the the family um, the couple when they come from america and the whole you know um, you know supposed sort of uh, you know sensitivity and progressive attitude and feeling bad for the working class but you know when the family is with them it's like till then it's like nene you are family come sit with us you know to to the help but, uh, you know, the moment there is a crisis, it's like, let's pin it on the help and everything else. And then you, you see all the standards sort of, you know, um, eroding. Uh, yeah. So, so I think uh, all of it, all of it is reflecting what is, what is going on with us as people. And the fact that the content is reflecting that is at the end of the day, we have the money and um, uh, that's where the content is coming from. If a, if a, say a film like uh, Sir or a film like uh, The White Tiger didn't have an audience, you wouldn't see that content out there. So at least the fact that there is content being made with a cognizance of the fact, you know, with cognizance of the fact that let's say, okay, I'll get this much kind of view, viewership, you know, so you do it. I mean, earlier, what, what was the option? You only had to say, okay, I'm going to do art film, an art film, which has such a small little, you know, theater going kind of, uh, you know, stylized audience, uh, or I do commercial, and now you don't have that kind of divide at all. And that is purely dictated by the fact that there is a viewership, there is a sponsorship that's coming in for it. And all of it is, is reflecting the fact that we want content which reflects who we are now, and we're owning it, I think. Okay. Everything, talking, we're enjoying talking, our works. Talking of books, I think, you know, I remember the time when um, Mills and Boone used to be our favorite absolutely. In fact, I, 
I've been looking at, I just picked up one more, you know, just to go back in time after I heard <laughs> that you were going to be on the show. But, uh, um, you know, when I, when I think back about our school days, for example, we still really looked at the TDH kind of man, right? The tall, dark and handsome. Yeah. Little realizing at that time that dark was never something that was really acceptable in Indian society. Right. Yes. I mean, you. Yeah, yeah. Meant- dark was just meant to be actually the. Apparently, dark was just a dark haired. So yeah, it's exactly. Dark but it's always we look haired. at a swarthy complexion. We look at somebody who's really, you know, got got all that muscle tone, etc., which is going to be more swarthy and and things. That that's one part of it. But also, I think when I look at um, you know what's been happening in India recently, I would say that if you take the last twenty twenty five years in India. Um, you know, whether it was a chicken and egg, but finally globalization had allowed a lot of people to travel, a lot of, um, uh, you know, international products coming into India, international brands coming into India, right from the 1980s, late 1980s, the Pepsis and the Colas, etc. coming in. I think we did develop a kind of a yearning for some products which was not clearly available in India. And we were prepared to pay a price for that. And again, with a lot of people then moving around and going out of the country, traveling i think bringing back the silkins kind of conditioners or you know the vela uh, shampoos etc i think those were all things that we used to do today it's no longer there today in fact when you go out shopping outside you say what is it that is not available in india you know and therefore i think our bags are much lighter for one thing i remember the worst thing of all was that <laughs> it's, funny, like, it's funny it's funny you say this uh, it's funny you, you say know? this lekha because my daughter is uh, going back to delhi tomorrow and i kept saying you know what do you want to carry back with you What's special from Bangalore? Huh, so I kept saying, do you want to take Nandini ka pedas, you know, Dharwad? Yeah. She said, like, why? <laughs> I can just order it and two days later on Amazon, it's it'll arrive home. Exactly. Why do you want me to lado it from here? You exactly. Know? So you that, know, even pickles, for instance, sending it across to Palu or to my daughter in New Zealand, it's exactly the same. I mean, she says, why are you doing it? I can go across <laughs> and pick it up from the Indian store out here. So, you know, yeah. that divide. That countrification that we used to have of, okay, going there and picking up Agra ka peda from Agra, Agra ka peta from Agra alone is no longer there. No, I mean, we are able to get anything everywhere. So I think that's one. And the second thing that has happened is uh, over the last, let's say, 10 years, I would say that this identification of things which are Indian is more, it's become more classy to now have things which are more Indian rather than international. So if you're having a dinner and you'd like to lay plates on the table, you're not anymore looking for the bone china from Noritaki. What you're going to be looking at is probably, you know, having earthenware on the table, which is which is picked up from, okay, cottage industries or whatever, but picking up things from the local market has become a lot more stylish today than it was earlier. So I think it's the same as saying that no longer is a French chiffon as uh, fashionable as probably wearing a ghagra choli to, um, uh, you know, social sorority. So I think it's much like uh, being able to um, be, whether it's authentic or be with the time. You know, I think a lot of us, more than authenticity, we are really looking to be accepted by a lot more people. And therefore, we will go with what makes the most marketing sense. Right. Right. Shikha, would you like to add to that? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll just actually, it's interesting because I had done some research on on this topic because of for a presentation I had to make to someone. So I have a very interesting quote, actually, which I'd love to share with you. 
so this is by a gentleman uh, named rajan anandan he is the vp of operations for google india and southeast asia so he says english is over there are only about 200 million indians who are proficient enough in english and they are already on the internet almost every new user we see coming on to the google database uh, roughly about 9 out of 10 are not proficient in english so it's very fair to say that almost all the growth of usage on google is coming from non english users who want more localized content so you know it's very telling it's very interesting um there is actually some more data to back that up uh, so the number of people with some education in english is estimated to be between 125 to 200 million which is less than 5% of indians or less than 70 million are actually fluent enough in english to keep it as their principal language of communication or seek it or use it while they are seeking information while browsing the internet or looking for content so uh, thus after being available only in english for over 3 decades finally the internet is diversifying enough into local regional languages in india and the number of non english users in india so uh, has risen sharply over the last 5 5 uh, years uh and adding to that so for the first time i think just give me a minute <clears throat> so um google search engine uh will now support nine indian regional languages currently it does and this number is set to rise over time so i mean if they, that doesn't uh, demonstrate why we are discussing this topic today i don't think anything else does so yeah that's your data right there from google right so this whole i mean the globalization itself has been so fast moving and so yeah. beautifully done at that in so many aspects uh but at the same time it has created a sense of urgency because in- information is so easily accessible and so much of information is easily accessible about diverse range of topics so when it comes to when it comes to content creation and storytelling itself how does it if how does the sense of urgency that people have like a consumer wants what's happening tomorrow like last night so <laughs> how does that affect content creation and storytelling and um we've discussed globalization and the impact of it but to ma- to maintain to maintain uh, authenticity of it what goes into that you know um see i'll tell you one of the things pallavi that you know as we said we started off by saying the storytelling telling is never going anywhere but you know we've seen formats changing uh, you know ourselves i mean we are also consuming uh, you know uh, things in so many different ways um so so some things you know we still learning for instance i would have thought that you know with shorter attention spans uh, people would consume short stories more for example uh, and i think that a lot of platforms did try that you know there were publishers like juggernaut who you know who tried to market uh, you know short stories alone stand alone short stories uh, you know i can't speak for them uh, how it worked as a business but from what i see is that it's not as if people still want to you know uh, you know this thing like yeah you know like that's all i have time for while i'm waiting for my cab i'm just going to read that so somewhere people still want the want the completeness or the the warmth that they believe uh, you know uh, or let's say the 
even the commitment that a novel brings i think that conceptually people want to be uh, in it for the for the whole thing you know and they see uh, you know maybe maybe they want to they appreciate short stories or short cinema or short films as a form but your your um, the long format is not going anywhere either you know so you have a simultaneous sort of you know uh, uh, different uh, tastes that are developing so it's not an it's not an either or situation it's not as if oh okay so now now that i know uh, thai food i'm going to stop eating chinese food it's not it's like you still have an appetite for that you still have an appetite for thai you also now suddenly find that okay japanese is started coming in actually i find that i quite like it maybe you think that earlier you thought that it only meant that you got to eat raw fish but now you discover that no actually there is enough there for vegetarians and so on also so so i think people are learning in the process and so you're just finding that the offering has become greater you know but it didn't mean that one die, one form died out i don't think that you know um, let's say that storytelling in its original long uh, leisurely form died uh, and went anywhere okay. not by going by the number of books that come out every month uh, and the second thing is that all of us also we're we're experimenting and having fun you know uh, learning for example in uh, one of the books that i had released last month uh, you know on valentines day it is called um, mates dates and double takes you know which is a, a set it's an anthology of short stories for um, um, you know it is was originally meant for young adults but the way i had kind of put it together was that it's stories about first love so you can experiment with form which i did there with one of the stories which is uh, which is called a blind double date so the entire story is written in the form of text messages every scene every shift in the scene is between characters which are who are busy texting each other you know even on a date even before the date after the date <laughs> and it's all there with no with no other narrative uh, or descriptive text uh, other than what is happening through dialogue so to speak with text is just dialogue right right or even the fact that you just see the dot 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 and somebody's going on texting away is still telling you what's happening it's it's communicating action but it's a different format and and i think that's what is making it so you know not good to be uh, doing what we are in these times where so much change is kind of compressed in a pretty short time and nothing is brought it out even more vividly than uh, you know than 2020 where you know your even your avenues kind of blocked up for a while you know because you knew that publishers have also uh, got a backlog you know anybody who had planned to get a book out in 2020 is now only going to be doing it in 2021 so if you want to pitch a new book you know either you wait another two years or for example somebody like me and then i saw a lot of other people who were experimenting at that time with self publishing which again become a became a shorter uh, more accessible way to bring your work to people it helped you see immediately it's like in a way as a creator of content every single day you could see how many pages were being read you could see which of your books was being read more you know you could you could get uh, that information and that immediate sort of response and you could you could see if you wanted to tailor make anything even you could change your covers even if you wanted overnight you know so that yeah. that's given a lot of flexibility which became which became immediate and a response to to uh, the times we're in right so uh, you know it's interesting that you say this because i think that it's a lot uh, to do with the generation also that we are in um, you know i think the baby boomers of which i am a part obviously would probably still 
uh, be okay with getting the long variety, whether it's a test match of five days or it is, uh, you know, a T20 or a T10 or whatever they're going to come up with next. I think um, that's one. The second thing is also we have enjoyed variety, right, as, as, as a force. And I think the more that, like you spoke of food, the cuisine, I don't think we're just going to be happy with only Chinese every time. And it's so true. I think we do want to have different kinds of cuisine etc. Similarly, I think the short stories and the short films have definitely taken a, um, you know, a rise, especially I think during the pandemic. I know that I for one can no longer sit through the 56 or the 130 episodes of the Hindi soaps that we used to be so hooked on to earlier. For me now, when I look at um, you know Pakistani drama, for example, I'm still looking for the 19 to 24 kind of episode things that they are. When I look at a crime story, I would like to see that they are going to be separate ones because I want to fit in so much more into my day. I, I need that completeness that happens in a day rather than continuously waiting to be able to see who's going to be the murderer. You know, like I think the Agatha Christie mm. kind of books are no longer right. going to sustain me the way in which the short episodes and the short stories really do pique my interest. Plus, the other thing which I enjoy very much, and that's why I'm going to pick up this book of yours that you said about take, uh, make, take and double take, definitely. I'd make, like to see... dates and double take. Okay. So just uh, send that to me again. I'm going to definitely pick that up because I believe that it's something which uh, allows me to look at the perspective of one author and many dimensions. One theme and many stories. So I think that um, variety that is required and where, as well as the tedium, uh, uh, you know, not any longer wanting to stay with the tedium of a single type of food, story, sport, uh, art form, uh, movie. I don't think I have the, I personally, though I'm a baby boomer, I don't any longer have that kind of time and patience to be able to do it uh, even now. So I think it's a sign of the mm. times as well as generational changes that have occurred. Mm. Mm. Similarly, also, even when I walk into a store today, I'm no longer content to only go for Quaker Oats, right? I'd like to see the different varieties of uh, millets and uh, fast food, uh, the, uh, you know, the generic foods which are available along with the specialities of that particular region for breakfast, for instance. I think the, the, we are spoiled for choice today and uh, no longer are we going to be content with anything else. So I think the consumer has truly turned out to be queen in these days, which wasn't there earlier. We were still happy with the Ford. You want a Ford, you can take any color as long as it's black. That's gone. You know, no longer is that good to be today. Right. Yeah. No, I so think the consumer has also become very conscious the consumer has become very conscious of the fact that, you know, that you have, uh, you know, just as, I mean, it's literally, it's like when people say that, you know, sometimes people say that, you know, even um, you you have, I mean, a, a, a product for every mood, right? So it's like in your wardrobe, it, it reflects that. It's like saying, you know, you know, you, you need your leisure wear, you need your vacation wear, you need your work wear, you need your blah, blah. So similarly in the content, you know, you're in the mood for a certain sort of thing and you're indulging it. Whereas earlier you right. thought you had to stay too, too tight. And right. that's true of the creator as well as the consumer. You know, I don't know how well that works though in marketing. I mean, you guys would be better to talk about it because I've always found that it was good if you stuck to your core strengths. Uh, you know, at least no, you know the brand for that, you know. 
No, you know the brand for that, but then the brand is only going to be taking and using it as a super brand, right? One of the products is a super brand and there are going to be many more which are going to be the piggybacking kinds on that brand because you never know where the market is going to change. So you will need to definitely create that kind of a surge for the PLC to take off, the product life cycle to take off at any point in time. Supposing that main product is going to go down and you put all your eggs in one basket, then the little Britannia biscuits that they are, little hearts biscuits, are no longer going to sell, right? You need to be able to have a variety which is going to be picking up the market slowly and allowing this new taste to also build in. So I don't think um, uh, marketers also are going to be happy to stick with one genre, one type, one service. And that is why you see so many alliances and, um, you know, mergers that are taking place, acquisitions that are taking place. Because while I as a company might stick with my core competency to be able to keep my profits there, I'm still going to be able to work with others to give me that reach to different kinds of markets or different products and probably that all-in-one that, you know, today's customers are not going to be picking up a card without also looking for all the spare parts in that particular one-stop shop itself. I will definitely not obviously go into looking at Sunfilm, but I would look for somebody to supply the Sunfilm at my retail store. Right. And that that's very important. I think the call for time and quality of products as well as being able to get whatever you want in the shortest span of time and for the maximum amount of value of money for money for example vfm i think is definitely a sign of the times okay right so just uh, the last last question uh, we're almost done is yes. what um with such high expectations that audience the consumer has of any any product that's being put out into the market what what is the future? I mean, what can we estimate when it comes to content creation and storytelling, uh, and the future of it? So I, you know, I'd like to take take a step back and just look at where this bit of um, you know marketing has really taken us to. Mm-hmm. If I look at online and offline, you know, like you have the Ropo kind of syndrome, right? So you say that people are researching offline and purchasing offline earlier. That's what it used to be, right? Used to go ask people, what is this TV like? How is this, et cetera? See what's in the newspaper. And then you finally go across to 10 shops and then you pick up whatever you want. That was the the researching offline and purchasing offline as well. Then we moved into the uh, researching um, online and purchasing offline, right? So we said, all right, now let's go across and now let's look at uh, what are people talking about this product? But I'll still go across to the barter store and pick up whatever I want out there. I'll ask people what they're looking for and and how did they find that particular style? Is is Hush Puppies, for example, really worth it and so on? And then I finally go across and pick up what I want at the physical store. But, you know, a few years back when I went across to um, UK for one of my projects and uh, one of my clients was uh, a high street uh, leather footwear person. And uh, it was very interesting to find out that the software that they were looking for was really only to look at the warehousing of it because people were no longer coming across to the stores to buy products. They were coming across there because there is no uniformity in sizes and fit of shoes. Okay. So (laughs) therefore they will walk into the store. They will actually research offline, but they will purchase online because they're going to be able to get the discounts of, you know, the volume buys or the volume as well as the direct to customer kind of sale that there is. So therefore, the stores over there were really only testing grounds for sizes and designs. 
So people would come there, try out a shoe and say, okay, fine. So this is the, this is the shoe, etc. Make notes of it, go back, buy it online. But today, especially in the pandemic, we've all moved into the researching online and purchasing online. We are hardly going to the stores and it's not only because of the pandemic, but I think now we've got so used to purchasing everything online and hopefully there's a little more standardization. Plus, of course, with, if I look at the aggregators like, you know, the Amazons and the, um, the flip cards, especially the Amazon, which does not uh, preclude me from returning something if it doesn't fit. I can return it in the, in the first three days after purchasing it, right? And of course, there are a lot of people who do take advantage of that as well. But it at least allows me to take a chance on not getting the right kind of, uh, uh, you know, size or the fit. And doesn't matter, let me test it out. So I think yeah. that has been something which has been a huge change in the way the marketing of products, the marketing of, uh, uh, you know, the, the hyper local kind of stores which are available also are no longer necessarily the place that I'm going to be purchasing at. I will still look for the hyper local stuff. But I'll do it online. And I will I will still look for the comparison shopping online that I would have not done earlier. Yeah. Earlier, I would have just walked across somewhere and picked up whatever is available. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. So now even retailers like Zara, so what people are doing, for example, they'll get a small, medium, large. They'll try which fits them best and they just go to the, the store and return it. Or send Absolutely. someone to return it, whoever's like running the errands to the mall. So <laughs> things have right. become so easy now, you know. Yeah, and, and that's and that's that's also possible online too. Yeah, Shika, you know, I mean, just to give you a give uh, to let you know, I've lost forty two kgs over the last one year. Okay, wow. 40, so you can imagine you can imagine what my size was like. That's beside that's the point. But, <laughs> you know, I, I and therefore I've had to get a completely new wardrobe. Now I didn't know what size fits me because I was so used to wearing 3XL and 2XL earlier. And yeah. now suddenly I'm saying, okay, now what's gonna fit me in which brand? So I pick up a small, medium, large. Yeah. Right? Because you don't know what's gonna fit you in which brand, and then it's and great fun when you when you yeah. can actually return the large also. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So what actually, you know, this is something Pallavi, I really love about India. It's like this whole matrix like country where things are going on at so many levels. So there's place for hyper localization. There's place for globalization. There's place for all sorts of content, all sorts of generic branding, generic branding. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, I think that's what I love about our country. And uh, it's really a very exciting time to be a content creator, to be a marketeer, to be a PR person, because uh, things are changing every minute and every second. And I, I just love the direction it's going in and where it's taking. I'm learning something new every day. I've been working for the past 20 years. And I thought I'd seen it all, but I haven't. So I, I'm, you know, it's it's an amazing ex, uh, experience. I think the changes our country is going through and everything which we are seeing for sure. Right. Nice to hear you say that because you know I've been working for the last forty years, so double what your time is, and I'm still learning as well. Yeah, I'm still learning, and things are changing so fast. So it's a VUCA world, right? Right yeah. now, it's so absolutely. complex yeah. and it's yeah. so ambiguous, and there's so much of volatility. But it's wonderful because you're, you just have to have all your senses and your antennae out there to be able to receive yeah. information and keep on adapting to what is yeah. going to be there. Like even when I look at the pandemic and how it has affected the working world, 
and we keep talking about the new normal but it's not normal yet right yeah, we don't know not. what the new normal is going to be like i mean we're just going <laughs> into a third wave for example and yeah. i don't know when we'll be able to return to the way in which we ever worked earlier is is a mask going to still be there um, you know oh, forever, right. for the rest of yeah, my yeah. life no one knows so fact, there is going to be a lot of uh, yeah. transience in everything yeah. that we're doing behavior attitude products Absolutely. everything so in fact you know just as an aside there was a point last year where i thought that my career was over you know i would never get another job and i'm too old for this now mm-hmm. and uh, thankfully i was able to pull myself out of that funk and reinvent myself relook at many things and now it's exciting because now i'm again relearning uh, you know uh, learning new things uh, getting on back on the bandwagon as they say and yeah, yeah you're absolutely right it's a very exciting time to be alive professionally and absolutely. there's so much to look forward to yeah absolutely and it's absolutely fabulous to also teach huh? so i would invite you into this field of teaching if you can get into teaching right now i think that's the best way to keep learning really? because these youngsters of 20 and 24 years old are continuously challenging you challenging you in that classroom and you know they're trying to keep you outdated but you need to be one step ahead so you better <laughs> learn before they, before they bring you down you know so it kind of keeps you on your toes well that was it for this week i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did until next time take care and spread the love